Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Rick Morton. All right, welcome again to the Think Orphan podcast. I'm Rick Morton, along with Phil Dark. Phil, how's it going today in California? It's going pretty well, although, you know, it's interesting with all the things we have going on, um couple things over the last two days we got COVID right obviously going on for a while we have all kinds of other things school starting kids distance learning in our home all kinds of other things and then we find out in South Lake Tahoe the plague came up and someone had the plague the other day from some insect and then we have wake up this morning and go out to my car and there's a layer of ash on the car because there's fires you know popping up all around so it's just a crazy crazy time as we already knew um and you know on top of it i i, I was reminded um as i listened to uh the episode with dj jordan a couple times ago that that we left people hanging on the yep. whether i got uh i you know i had covid or not yeah, we sure after did. that episode a couple times ago and so i just want to say i apologize for switching the order a little bit on our episodes of when we <laughs> recorded them and uh, i will say happily though that i it was covid negative um uh, and i was i was pretty darn sure i had covid as with 99% of our country who hasn't had covid yet i think we're pretty sure we had it at some point this year but uh but I got the antibody test, and it said negative as well. So, um, not out of the woods. But uh, anyway, it's been a it's been just a crazy, crazy time. As I know, you've been having a, a crazy few uh, weeks since we last oh, recorded as well. And uh, just how are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. You know, we're we're launching uh, two seniors into into their last year of high school, and and two seniors in three different schools, and. It's, there's a lot of complexity and that's and COVID just adding to that's made it nuts. Um, you know, we're, we're like over here toward the east. We're trying to act like the West Coast. And so we're having earthquakes over this way and all kinds of, you know, all kinds of craziness here. And, and so life, you know, life just continues to to go on. And, you know, I think today, you know, even as we're even as we're getting into the show that, um, man, they're like we're having a moment of craziness on the show here today. Um, because I can't believe that that our guest, uh, who who we have today with us, that we are over 150 episodes into this podcast, and this is the first time we've had him on. Um, and so that's just crazy to me that um, that somebody that's as uh, as close to you and somebody that's as big a part of uh, of of your life and your story is uh, like we're just getting a chance to talk to him for the first time, and so. Um, in the midst of, uh, you know, life being topsy turvy and all that, we're getting some, we're going to do something really, really cool today. So uh, yep. man, why don't you, why don't you tell us about, uh, about our guest? Yeah, today we have one of my, uh, he's become a brother to me after we were able to uh, co-write and co-edit In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence a few years ago, Keith McFarland, um, who has been, the reason he hasn't been on the show is because he's he and his family have been living over in Uganda for you know really the last 15 years and he comes home on furlough here and there but uh, really crazy and, and he's also one of the most humble men you'll ever meet um, he doesn't like to share about himself and and quite frankly part of the reason I haven't had him on either is is, is you know Rick um, I'm not a self-promoter I don't like you know, just putting it out there and saying oh look at me and 
And I feel that I don't want people to ever think that the reason we did this was to sell stuff or do this or do that. Never has been, never will be. And, and, uh, but I've always well, known we're fun, man. Is- like, this is awesome. And it, it's really like, I'm really excited about today. I am to too. Get to, the two, to get to the two of you guys together on the show and, and, to, you know, to be able to do this. And so I'm, I'm thankful Keith's in a place where internet's good and reliable and we can, you know, we can have this conversation and, uh, and I'm thankful that, uh, that that we're able to get you guys together and yeah. and we're able to talk about some, you know, some really important things in uh, in orphan care. And, Absolutely. Uh, so without any more, and, and I do want to say on a side note, we haven't had Tony on the show either, which is, you know, something that. Uh, bro, that's like, let's something do it. I know. Let's hey, do it. Let's do it. Let's have like the series of, of our co-authors <laughs> of just, you know, boom, back to back to back. And actually, it could just be back to back. But um, uh, that's okay. We haven't written as much as Peter Greer. But uh, anyway, <laughs> he'd have a whole podcast of just right. his co-authors. Just his co-authors. But right. anyway, folks, so here is Keith McFarland. I, we're not going to keep talking. You know, as you guys know, Rick and I could talk a lot longer about all this. I could talk all day about the greatness of, of Keith McFarland as a man and who he is and who he's all about. But really, before we get into I just want you guys to know he's, he's as I said, the real deal, a guy who's been living um, with his family, loving on the people of Uganda in ways that uh, just training them up in the ways of the gospel. He has, uh, he's the director of the Institute for Gospel Transfer- Transformation at New Hope Uganda. He also holds other positions there. As you, anybody doing ministry knows, you do a whole lot more than your title. Um, he loves as well as anyone that I know. And uh, he has six kids. He's raised them all over there in Uganda. And I do also want to say, and I'm going to talk a little bit about with him, I don't want to forget his son, his 17-year-old son, to give you an idea, his oldest, has just started a publishing company called Publishing Peace. It's got a blog, they're going to be starting a podcast, and it just blows my mind. Like, he has a bigger staff than I have, and he's 17 <laughs> years old. And uh, I just love that, that that, to me, is a mark of, of a man who is his father, and that's who we get to talk to today. So without any more, we're going to bring in Keith McFarland. Keith, brother, so great to have you, man. Welcome to the Think Orphan Podcast. Thanks, Phil. I'm glad to finally be on here. Thanks for bringing me in. Yes, yes. And one of the things I love about this kind of new format we have is, is you have no idea how I introduced you. So yeah, you have to wait until the episode airs <laughs> to, um, to hear it, to hear it. So I think your wife will agree with it. You may, you may struggle with it. You may struggle with it. I'm just, I'm not going to lie. So um, Keith, you know, I, I, I introduced you a little bit. I introduced you a little Thanks. bit, but can you just share us, share with our audience? Cause, cause really people who have read the book, read a little bit about you and and if they finished it, if they read all the way through chapter 13, they heard a little bit about your story, but most people haven't read that. Most people don't know your story, don't know who you are. Um, Can you, can you just share a little bit about how God captured you with the love for orphan and vulnerable children, how uh, you began working in Uganda and just, just really what, uh, how you got to be where you are today. Hmm. Yeah. You know, God took me from West Virginia. So I grew up in West Virginia I uh, went to Chicago to Moody Bible Institute and really from 1995 to 1999, it was like a world explosion for this kind of country boy, country city boy. 
suddenly downtown Chicago, the government housing projects just a few blocks from the school at that time. And so for four years, I was very immersed in inner city ministry to very broken, very wounded, hurting kids. And that was just life-changing for me. Um, by my senior year, it was like my eyes went from being open like this to like this as I began to learn about uh, street kids, AIDS orphans, war-torn children. Uh, it blew me away. In fact, Phil, I don't even know if you know this, like I, I, I remember being on spring break and watching uh, something in Rwanda and they were talking about the genocide in Rwanda and all the, the, the the loss, the death, um, the situation with the children. And man, it was like, I was like, what genocide? Like, what, mm. you know, what is this? Uh, it, it was like brand new for me. So, so I, five years later, had no idea all that had taken place. And it, it just, man, it was like a, a knife into me and, and just crying out, God, where, you know, where are you in, in this big reality, you know, and, and all this. And so, and I, I remember just walking around, school kind of just down and uh, a lot and and my wife was just my friend at that time but you know she'd be like what's wrong with Keith and I'm like the state of the world's children you know everybody <laughs> like you know, who is this guy um but but it was God just breaking me opening my eyes up and and then just you know making it really clear that that I I'm redeeming this brokenness and I've entered into this brokenness and I still enter into this brokenness through my people, through my church. And, um, you know, and we go and I'm like, Whoa, me. Yeah. Come on. So, um, that started me on a journey. When I graduated, I, I went and lived with a Zambian family and worked with street kids for uh, three months and then moved around East Africa, just checking out what was going on with, with children and different ministries and churches and missionaries or whoever I could, connect with. Um, and in that time, God just really confirmed um, his, his call on, on me in that direction. Went back to Chicago and got married. God reaffirmed that calling through the local church that I was attending. And in 2002, we hadn't even been married a year. And we found ourselves in Rwanda and Uganda, working with kids and attending at that time, what was called the New Hope Institute of Child Care and Family. Man, and that was mind-blowing for us in a, in a ministry context to children that was very different than anything I had ever seen. And um, you know, just coming right into New Hope's uh, the very heart of it, bringing the fatherhood of God to the fatherless. And that captured our hearts. And so we went back to the States and raised support. And we've been there since 2004. Can you share a little bit more about the, the Institute, what it is? And, you know, if people out there might be interested in, in being a part of it potentially. Uh, can you just share what it is, how people might get involved, how they can get in touch with you uh, if they are interested to hear more about it? Now, obviously they can read, read about it in the book, but, but uh, just a, a snippet of what it is and, and how people might be able to contact you if they want more info on it. Sure. You know, what drew us to the Institute initially was just wanting to be mentored by people on the field who were living it out the gospel in ministry to be able to learn from uh, their successes, their mistakes. Um, and we had a really hard time finding anyone who was offering that kind of mentorship or discipleship. And, and when we learned about New Hope Uganda and, and the Institute, it was like, wow, okay, that's exactly what we want. Cause it is, it's a, 
at that time it was a 20 week course. We've tried to shorten it down to 18 weeks right now. Um, but it is, it's intensive discipleship oriented where you are, uh, it's, it's multifaceted. So you have to almost imagine you're sitting in a room with uh, Ugandans from four, five, ten different tribes, um, different nations, different African nations, different Western nations. Not a big class, usually between 15 and 20, um, enough that, that you know, it's, it's intimate. You're able to, to know each other and be known. And you start just breaking apart culture and, and uh, the, the impact that our cultures have played on us, forming the way that we look at God, look at each other, read the Bible, live our lives. And it's very shocking to have your own cultural worldview revealed in the light of another. You know, my wife had taken missions classes. I had done uh, missions and, and uh, you know, trainings on, on culture, but there's something about being exposed in the light of another culture. And then just having a biblical worldview, just being rebuilt into us, uh, challenging on every level for us as, for me as a man, my wife as a woman, so manhood, womanhood, marriage, family, things that I didn't get in Bible college, um, deeply saturated in the word of God, foundations for uh, God's heart for the fatherless and, and uh, orphan care grounded in the gospel. Um, one of the things that we loved was delving into the heart of an orphan. That was one of my favorite teachings uh, that I got to sit under and then seeing how that leads us to the gospel and the fatherhood of God. So, you know, it's, it's intense. There's a lot of different pieces to it, but you're also working hands-on with New Hope and, um, you know, in different areas of the ministry, whether it's the clinic or the family groups or the schools, um, whatever is appropriate, you know, for that context. So, uh, you know, the web, so you can go on newhopeuganda.org and just look for Institute for Gospel Transformation and any inquiries on there will make their way to me. And I, I got to tell you, I wish we had an ability to do like a virtual tour or something um, of, and just be a fly on the wall for some of those conversations. I've, I've wanted to, you know, just be a part of it a bit more. I've met some of the people who have been in, in the, in the Institute and just seeing a little snippet of it when I was visiting. Um, but I just, I'm blown away hearing more and more about what you're doing with that. So I just encourage people to check it out. If it, if that at all piqued your interest, find out more about it because it, it really is amazing. And it is, it's kind of like, I, I compare it to when you're learning a language, you go on Rosetta Stone, you try to learn a language and you can kind of learn a language, but you're never going to learn a language until you go in and actually go into a country and immerse yourself into that. And, and I, I think this is like a jumping off into it, just deep end of cultural immersion to learn about people and get to know people at, at deep, deep levels where the questions, the hard questions are asked. So I, I definitely have, have uh, I, I just really love what you're doing. I've always just been so uh, encouraged by, by what you're doing there. So, um, so and I, then, yeah, go ahead. Just, just, you know, you think about, well, you know, who really would go through that course? I mean, it's whether you're training in missions, we've had people that are going to different uh, Muslim countries, you know, African nations, Asian, it, wherever. We've had Indians go through. We've had pastors from America go through and then come back, you know, almost take a sabbatical, come, go through, and then come back in the ministry. Um, you, you know, and really, from any educational level, from a, a master's of divinity level to a fourth grade village Ugandan education, 
is an impacting uh, experience for all of those levels. And the quality of teaching is amazing. And you're learning from Ugandans, you're learning from uh, a wide spectrum of, of people, which I think is really special. Yeah. And I, that's another thing I meant. I'm glad you, I'm glad you touched on. It's not just a bunch of, it's not a bunch of Americans going over to Uganda to teach a bunch of people from all over the world. It's, it's people that are teaching you and training you from Uganda. As you said, there's, there's people from several different countries at, at New Hope, right? Working there and, tra and training and, and a part of that. So, okay. So, you know, we could talk about that all day. I, I, do, I do want you real quick though. Can you, as you're, I want to make sure as you're answering the other questions to just share a little bit about, you know, what New Hope is so people can understand that better too. I do. I, I know that a lot of that's in the book. So I do want to invite people to the extent we obviously, we all, we can never cover all these different things in an interview. So if you if you really want to find out more about New Hope Uganda and its model and how it's transforming lives there, I definitely encourage you to, to pick up that book because as anyone, as Rick, you know, reminded himself of this last week, if you, if you pick up the book and you skim through it of, of which parts of the book Phil Dark wrote, who's on the cover, and which parts of the book Keith McFarland wrote, Keith that's a lot more. I mean, he's like here. I can't even have my arm. I'm like here, right? So if you're on the video, you saw my hands that were really close together when I did my part and you couldn't see my hands because they were so far apart with Rick or with Rick's. With Rick, didn't write, Rick didn't write any of it actually. Did not write but any Keith, of this. Um, uh, you know, we, if we had 16 authors, it probably would have been Rick. But funny story, I'd never even met Rick until, um, until after the book was published. The and then everyone said, oh, complete. you wrote a book. Then Rick said, oh, okay, you're part of the book writer fraternity. I can come over and talk to you now. So that's kind of how it worked um, when we did that. But uh, I still remember meeting Rick at uh, Chicago, uh, CAFO. CAFO and, in and, Chicago. Yeah. So anyway, that's not what this interview is about. This interview is about you, Keith. So we're going to come back to you. Um, but that is, I do want to kind of transition to the collaboration that did happen with, with In Pursuit. In all seriousness, it was a book that, was always, um, you know, not always. Once we went to a collaborative approach, I knew there was going to have to be somebody else that really walked alongside who, you know, who took on a co-editing role, who took on a, a big part of writing and helping with the content editing, because I knew that it just couldn't be Fildark's musings and Fildark's editing. And a lot of people just assume we were old buds, but we didn't even meet until, was it 2013 or 12? I can't remember. It was 12, 2012. Yeah. And uh, the September of 12, when I did the re started researching for this book and somebody connected me with you, a good friend of mine from college said, Hey, you've got to check out New Hope Uganda. So I went on, looked, saw some dude's name, reached out to him. On the other end of that email was Keith. He's like, yeah, come stay with me. I have a guest house. You know, I forget what you call it, but you know, right outside my house and my wife cuts hair. You can get your haircut while you're here too. Yeah, no problem. The Bonda. And yeah. uh, the Bonda. And yeah. I took him up on both things. And so I stayed there for three days and we became brothers, like we said. Mm -hmm. So, but I want to hear from you because I have a couple of things that I'll talk about, you know, afterwards with Rick, but um, how did that process, you know, writing a book with 15 authors, um, you, as I said, you wrote a good chunk of it. You co-edited with me. Can you share your perspective kind of on the good, bad, and ugly of the collaborative writing process? And um, do you believe the collaboration is worth the struggle and the hard work that it takes to make it happen? Mm, come on. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Has to be. And I, I think when you talk about the good, I mean, the good was the fact that collaboration happened. 
and and the book was put out there uh, you know without of course people reading the book aren't going to know how, how hard it is to actually find collaboration in the orphan care world and i was pretty surprised i mean even just in my little experience in uganda you find most organizations, um, you know, I mean, everybody's their own expert. You've got your own study, your own experience, your own uh, you know, ways of doing things. And it, at the end of the day, most, it's easy to want to be heard and very hard to hear and to listen and to want to listen and to learn. And collaboration really forces that, you know, it forces you to have to critically evaluate, to think beyond your experience, to think beyond your exposure and to be able to learn from others. And there is, there's a, there's a, a, a give and take in that, in that type of dialogue. Um, so for the book, luckily, it, I don't ever feel like it was that, that, that difficult. You know, the people that God brought into the book very much had hearts to want to see the kingdom of God going forth in, in um, good orphan care, right? To see it done well. And I think most of us had tasted enough of bad orphan care to know that, man, this is a need. We've got to get this done. This has to be done right. Um, so I think that that definitely provides a, a good fuel for working through some of the challenges and, and um, getting things together and, and getting it, it put out there. So um, yeah, I think working through those challenges, but we had a good team. And, and Phil Dark, he's, he's pretty good with people you know, and, and hitting it on point. So you made it easy. <laughs> easy. I don't know about easy. Um, there, I can, I can close my eyes and remember some, some moments that were, I would not define it easy. So you, you skipped the uh, two parts of that question A three. It was a three part question. You, you covered the good. Um, what were some of the hard parts? What were some of the things that, that were struggles that, that, you know, when people are going through, collaboration there will be struggles there will be road bumps you know speed bumps whatever hurdles whatever you want to call them um what were some of the ones that that uh, you you felt and you know we felt together but i you know i'd like to hear from your perspective well i mean you're gonna have challenges where um you're coming from a perspective of of study or academia um you're gonna have challenges where you're just coming from experience and, and without really study or, or, or digging deep or you know, going broad, um, there's going to be limitations on, on those realities. And I think um, you know, anywhere that uh, fear of man, fear of how you know, am I, I going to be perceived, you know, what's driving sort of how, how I'm coming at some of these things, um, those, are, those are challenges, right? Is, is the gospel really the center of what we're doing and how we're doing things? Um, uh, you know, does, is, is, is what I'm bringing... Uh, more of a Western context. Does this translate internationally? Does this translate uh, in an African context? Does this translate over here? Um, just, you know, weeding through some of those challenges, difficulties, and, and trying to get it to where it's uh, able to touch the, the roots. I think it's because it's easy to, to stay up here um, it, theoretically without really digging down, you know, how do we bring this down to the people who are actually caring for orphans? You know, is this actually tangible, what we're calling people to? Um, what does this look like? Without forsaking excellence, right? Um, how do we practically do it? So to me, those were the challenges that I, I walked through. Yeah, absolutely. I remember some of the, we were in freezing cold West Virginia in December of 2013. Um, 
and we were editing it. And I remember some conversations with people on that very thing, that theory practice gap that, you know, there were some, you know, minor worldview differences, um, not major ones, but just little ones. But when you're, when you're getting it in black and white, it's, it's tough. It's tough because, because all our names are on these pages. Right. right? And uh, I mean, you remember the conversations and people were like, can you just say that we wrote that together and that it's not my chapter? Cause I feel like you've totally changed it. And I mean, there were, there were conversations like that. And, yeah. and, uh, and it was, it was, it's hard because it is a balance, you know, but anyway, that's, right. that's, that's the, the part of the, part of the fun. So yeah. But it's yeah, worth I, it, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Keith, I want to, I want to jump in and, and first of all, I, you know, man, I, I really, one of the things that I was kind of eager to hear a little bit more about that hopefully we can, we can kind of get into is even the, even the name change of the Institute and, and the Institute for Gospel Transformation. And, and I think it really kind of plays into to what you and Phil were just talking about, that there's, that, that we do bring these different perspectives and bring different angles. But the thing that really unifies us in, in what we do is is Christ. And it's, it's the, you know, it's the story of the gospel. And, and there is a, there's a, there's a unifying factor to why we do what we do, who we do what we do for. And, and those ends that, that cause us to stay in this and cause us to, you know, to, to collaborate deeply. Um, it also really informs like the things that we champion and the stuff that we're, you know, that we're, uh, that we're, we, we center our ministries on. And I, I know, you know, looking at chapter four in the book um, that you guys wrote is just seeing your passion uh, for the critical importance of, of family and, and how that, you know, how that comes from, you know, from a Christ in a worldview and, and realizing how important a mom and a dad are. Um, but, but also realizing that some of the things I've, you know, through the book and, and other things I've been able to see that you, um, you know, you talk about this idea. It's, it's kind of something that you guys at New Hope have built your, um, you know, have, have built your ministry around is this idea of bringing the fatherhood of God to the fatherless and that, you know, kind of that, that primacy. So, I mean, if you would just kind of delve into a little bit of your thinking about the importance of family um, and, and how the scriptures guide us to value family but then also like how, how that idea then translates to how we, how we really know and experience God and, 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 and the, the way that all of those forces kind of shape together. Well, I wish we had three or four hours, <laughs> maybe a week, right? Cause that, you know, Rick, what you just brought, I mean, that's, man, that's beautiful, right? That's, that's where, what we want to, to glory in and bask in. And I think, you know, um, because the reality is that orphan care is, is always birthed out of suffering, mm. right? It's, it's like we talk about adoption. Adoption is always birthed out of suffering and, and just mm. recognizing that. And, and so it's, it's easy to look around at, at the reality of brokenness that is around us because there is, it's, it's brokenness. You know, there's no perfect place for orphans in a broken world where they aren't going to touch brokenness, whether it's relatives or whether it's uh, uh, being adopted into family or whether it's in an orphan care community or, or wherever you go. I mean, that's a reality. Um, 
And yet, in the midst of that brokenness, God has spoken. And, and, and it's not spoken in a, in a, should I go left or should I go right? You know, let's mm. go left. It's spoken in that this is the way. Mm. This, is, this is what I have designed. This is what I have given. And everything within us longs for family. I mean, even when you're dealing with broken, broken family, there's that ache, right? Because we were made to yearn for home. Um, but not a permanent home here. We're not going to find a permanent home here. No matter what home you get put into, it's it, eventually death is going to find you. You know, mm. we're all going to face fatherlessness. We're all going to face that rending and the pain of, of living in this broken world. Um, because we were made for a permanent home where God is, where we are with God. God is with his people. That's where home is, right? Um, you can hear Jesus saying, I will come and dwell with them and make our home with them. You know, what an amazing statement. Um, and so just as much as, as, as we were made for home, we, get, we do, we get a taste of home in this world. And it's a mirror, right? And so in that, it's like, hey, these are aspects of what my eternal home is going to be like. Mm. And you know what? There's really good news that my eternal home isn't going to be like this, you know? Mm. Um, and and it's, it's, it's the same as we look into God's design for parents, because God has given father and mother, just as he made Adam and Eve in his image and his likeness, this man and this woman imaging their creator. Unbelievable. And in that imaging of their creator, they are having children and family is created this earthly family that's pointing to a greater heavenly reality that is eternal right it's not going to end that's where we're going that there's something bigger than this and so even as we look at it at, at, at this design of of a man and a woman um, coming together um, and then having children and having a home that is affected by sin and, and isn't permanent um, but in that god powerfully reveals himself mm. and one of the things that I've, I've loved has been studying through scripture and just watching how God unveils his character and as you as you move through Old Testament a lot of us you know we we, we just uh, resonate more with the king image of God in the Old Testament because it is it's there it's glorious it, it's mm. it's you know it, it moves right through the storyline but there's another really fascinating unveiling of God and that's that God is father from the beginning. It's, 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 he's not just, uh, just, just a king in the garden, mm. issuing orders and commands like the king. He is, he is father. Mm. <laughs> you know, he's got, he's, he's brought uh, his children into the world and, and he's provided everything that they need and he's disciplining them and he's sending them out of the garden. And, you know, um, the, sorry, oh, I better not preach. Um, but <laughs> no man, go, right, go, this is good. Come on. This is good. But as we move through the storyline, you see this, this unveiling of God's fatherhood. And there it is over and over. But the thing, one of the things that I love is the unveiling of God's fatherhood through his passion for the fatherless. Mm. And it is just this unique theme. Unlike, to me, it's, it's, it's unlike any other theme. The, the fatherless, the widow, and then the sojourner gets tucked right in there. Um, and, and, and when David comes along in Psalm 68 and says, a father to the fatherless is God in his holy dwelling, he's not pulling that out of thin air. He's pulling that right out of the Pentateuch, right out of his meditations on the law. He has seen the God who's revealed himself as father to the fatherless. That comes through 
his meditation on the law and his delighting in God. And he sees that God is father to the fatherless. And then, then he goes on to say, God settles the lonely in family. And, and that's what he does. He's constantly using family to, to draw in the fatherless and for the fatherless to know that God is their father. Right. And that's life changing. And that, that leads us right into the gospel as we get to celebrate um, the doctrine of, of justification that we are uh, forgiven, right? We are set free from the curse and punishment of sin. And then we are adopted into his family. So, so the image of this really being reflected through redeemed men and women reflecting Christ and, and reflecting uh, the father, God, um, drawing children into relationship with Christ where they get to know their father, right? So God, the father still being imaged through earthly fathers mm. and earthly mothers, but there's something unique about fatherhood. And, um, you know, you, you always feel the crushing weight of Ephesians six, right? Fathers train up your children and, you know, or, uh, but it's mothers too. It's not as mothers are, are uh, put aside. Um, but, but there's something about, God revealing his fatherhood through fathers and, and where you don't see fathers, um, where are you going to see God's fatherhood? Mm. I love the passage in Ephesians. I think it's Ephesians four. And Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. And um, the Greek, you know, the original language, it, it's, it's fatherhood. So for this reason, I bow my knees before the father, from whom every father on heaven and earth is named. And so uh, I, I think that, that, that God's design really from the beginning and right through redemption is that, that, that um, his fatherhood is revealed most powerfully through earthly fathers that are imaging him and through mothers who are also imaging Christ and, and revealing God and, um, and then drawing uh, hearts into that place. So is that, that is so good. And like, I had no idea that we were going to, you know, transition from an interview to just having church. Like that was, <laughs> I did. That was, it was amazing. I, you know, I think, um, in the, the, you know, the very, like the very homespun way that I've, you know, that I've communicated that over, over the years is this idea that, that in, in us stepping into ministry and the fatherless in, you know, in Jesus name, we're, we have this opportunity to, sort of put a taste on the lips of the world, kind of this sample of the kingdom of God, right? Like we point to God's fatherhood and to, and to the, you know, to the redeeming and the restoration and, and the completion that, you know, that, that Christ achieves in, in his work and, and man, I, like that was, that was so good. I, I, if you're, you know, if you're listening to us, um, go back and listen to that entire answer again, yeah. conserve that, chew on that. Um, because, because that is, that is a, a beautiful articulation of why we do what we do. And so Keith, thanks for, for that. I, um, it's also, now, you know, it's also real quick, Rick, it's also a good, uh, sampling of why I, uh, loved that Keith was a part of yeah. the book That's awesome. and I it's also the reason why our conversations typically go for an hour hour and a half every time we get <laughs> on the phone because we tend to go pretty deep pretty quick and yeah. it's just awesome and I learned so much from this man so that's why I was so excited yeah. to 
together. Well, I, was just I know that, I know that doesn't like seem I'm... like it since it's episode 152 and we're finally getting him on, but I have been really excited to get yeah. this man on this show. I was just sitting here so. thinking as, as you were answering going, man, we're going to make good on that three or four hours at some point yes. and, yeah. and really, and really dwell over it. We, we have to do that. Well, you know, Keith, I, I think any of us that have, have ever, you know, written anything and put it out there for other people, um, there, there is, there's the counterbalance of, um, you step away from that experience and, and, you know, some days pass, some years pass, whatever. And you, you kind of look back at some of the things that you've written and go, man, I wish I had said X or mm -hmm. I wish I could change Y. Like there's, there's always that whenever you put it into a fixed time and a fixed place, um, you'd love to be able to, you know, qualify some of that. I'm curious, man, just knowing how thoughtful you are, what what would be some things that you you might point to from from in pursuit that that you would say today man if i had a chance to do this today knowing what i know now and knowing where i am with the lord now i would i would change this or i would do this today it's a great question um I, I know that early on one of the first things phil and i talked about was uh, wishing that we had put something in there more for the gatekeepers, you know, those who are in contact with the neediest of the needy children, those who are sort of the ones bringing in and, uh, and, and dealing with fatherless children uh, on the ground. I think that would have been really, really helpful for sure. Um, as I've sort of thought about it since then and, and looking back you know, really your question, I think though I, I would have loved to have done a little bit more, uh, coming out of chapter four, the family chapter, I think it was so much that that really is the crux, right, of, of where the book is going to go um, and what the heart is that we're trying to bring. We're trying to say we want to see that family, that fathers and mothers, um, that, that God's design in this, you know, that this isn't just an optional thing. It's not just good to have fathers. Like we want to say, man, it's a must. Like it, at least we have to strive for that. Right. And there's a reason. Um, and we want to see that grounded biblically. So I think uh, I would have loved to have done more, I think on the foundational pieces, mm -hmm. some, a little bit more in the, uh, even the, the scriptural side of, of some of the foundations for orphan ministry um, that just walk through scripture, you know, th those can get big, but, but if I were to pick one, Okay, so if you nail me down and say, well, what's the one thing? Um, it, it would be this, and I don't even think, I haven't even said this to Phil. Um, I, honestly, I would, I would want a chapter on the central calling and place of the local church. Mm. And, um, you know, I've worked Preach. with, <laughs> I've worked, <laughs> I've, I've worked with, with organizations and NGO um, all across the board from, from 1995 up to current. So, I mean, I guess that's 25 years of working with at-risk children in lots of different contexts. And the one common thing that I have found that's really missing is uh, pretty consistently, you know, is a passion for the centrality of the mm -hmm. church. And, um, you know, and it's, it's good that, that New Hope Ugandas exist, right? It's good that just start naming good, organizations that are trying to do it right. That's wonderful. Um, but those organizations aren't going to be here, you know, in 20 years, 50 years, 100 years. The church will be here. And we have to be passionate for Christ's design. He's given 
the local church to be his primary means of caring for the fatherless. And so, you know, it can flow out of that in part, you know, that, that, that New Hope Uganda's or other organizations like our heart and passion as organizations has to be to, to, to strengthen the, the local church and um, wherever that is, right? And to not exist outside of that. Like we desperately need, need the church. And of course, that's a big answer, right? I could spend a lot of time on that, but. No, um, man, but that is so solid. And I, and I think, you know, I'm going to give away a trade secret here. Okay. Cause one of, this is one of those things at, at Lifeline that we say internally to each other a lot is, is we, we remind our team all the time that we want to be a bridesmaid to the bride of Christ. Yeah. That, that this idea that, you know, that we in, in the parachurch, it means just what it means. We're to come alongside, we're to support, but at the end of the day, Christ died for the church, right? And 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 I, I love the just the awareness. And I'm telling you, I don't think that's another chapter. I think that's a book. <laughs> like I think there is there is so much, both theologically and practically, just to unpack about about the ways that we have that, that we've been, you know, really probably incredibly short sighted particularly in the, in the 20th and 21st century about accomplishing the function of, of things that we, that we know even biblically that should be done, but not, but not honoring the, like the, the way that God has called us to do it, which is through, which is through his church. And it's through, it's through that one thing that we have the promise in the scriptures that's, that's going to endure. And uh, man, I, Oh, that's so good. Like, I think, so I'm, I'm telling you right now, that's your next book. <laughs> so you're writing it with Rick. You're going to write that next book with Rick. It will be called Orphanology in the Church. Right, All right. right. In, in yeah. pursuit of orphanology and, tr- and the church. Well, we've got, if we're going to make it theological. For excellence. Ecclesiological orphanology. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, that's right. way too big. Of, that's too way too well, big of just, words. Let's just I go wouldn't... in vogue. Let's just do yeah. global centered orphanology in the church, right? Yeah. Like if it's gospel centered, it's got to fly these days. So. Let's do it. So <laughs> a real quick, Keith, you're bringing yeah. it back, bringing yeah. it back, which, uh, you know, we got to do. So what, there's one thing that we, we have had people not criticize necessarily, but ask questions about what we actually meant with, you, you talked about it with the fatherhood in the, you know, the fathers and mothers. And when there's no father, there's something missing. And some people misinterpret that to say, well, single moms, what they can't, they can't raise kids. Like, is, are they not good enough? What's, what's going on there? Right. And people, as, as we all know, people will misinterpret what we say mm-hmm. um, and what we write, especially because we see it with social media all the time, people put in black and white, different things. And you have, 20,000 or 20 million or 20, however many billion people we have, we have that many different interpretations. But I just want to give you a chance. To, I know you, we've talked about it and I know you've talked about it on some different things, but, but what would you say to somebody who said, well, I'm a single mom and what are you saying to me that I, my kids don't have a chance? Um, what, what's going on here? Thanks again, Keith, for sharing your great wisdom with us in part one of our interview with you. Folks, I know you're going to want to come back for part two next uh, episode because Keith not only will answer the question that we left off with, but he will also share a lot more wisdom about different parts of the book, 
um, different lessons he's learned over the last decade or so of, of work with New Hope Uganda. And also, as always, he will also be sharing his recommendations and uh, just books he's learned from and people he's learned from over his uh, time working with orphan and vulnerable children. So as always, folks, we hope and pray that you will take everything you've learned today, everything that you're reading and you're watching and you're listening to, and you'll use it to help you to understand how you can love orphaned and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.